0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: Look in chapter 21, verse 5, it says, "...the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty." I like that, it doesn't say the plans lead surely to plenty. It says the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty. And it doesn't say the diligent will be led to plenty, it says the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty. It doesn't say the, land, the plans of the diligent might have plenty, it says lead surely to plenty. Isn't this a great verse? I could be here all afternoon. So circle the word plans. So you've got a plan. You've got to have a budget. You've got to understand how is my money coming in? How is it going out? How can I properly use this? And then it says the diligent. There needs to be someone. And if you don't like the word diligent, I'll give you another free word. Write the word disciplined. Disciplined. You can work as hard as you can. You can have two jobs, three jobs, four jobs. You can set your wife out to work. You can get your kids to mow everybody else's yard so you have plenty of money. But if at the same time, we're not disciplined with what we have, it's not going to work. Look, look, look up here. If I had a bucket, it doesn't matter how much water is coming in the top of the bucket. But if I got holes in the bottom of the bucket, it doesn't work. So again here, let's go back to this passage. It says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. Now, only part I would like you to underline in that is the word hasty. A lot of times we get into debt because we are so quick rather than waiting on the Lord to be able to supply for us. What would be so cool as an individual, a couple, or a family, would be every need you have that's above your basic need of life. And you have to define what that would be for you. Before you go to the mall, before you go to the flea market, before you go to Craigslist or a garage sale, go to God and say, Lord, somehow, supernaturally, provide this for me. And then begin to set your course to get the biggest bang for the buck. Plan ahead. Budgeting. What you make, what you need, balance it, follow it. Write it down. What you make, what you need, balance it, and follow it. Number two, or number three, excuse me. Not spending unwisely. I'm going to read this passage a little bit different here, but I think it'll say the same thing, but a little more contemporary fashion. It says, my son, I love that because you have the mentoring thing going on here, but kind of like Solomon mentoring all of us here, speaking to his own son, and we could read the letter that he's writing to him, and he says this, if you guarantee a loan for your friend, if you have shaken hands in a pledge for a stranger, today if we sign on a contract, you are snared by the words of your mouth, you are taken by the words of your mouth, you're going to have some deep trouble right here. He goes on to say, He who guarantees a loan for a stranger, someone he doesn't even know, let alone signing for a car for your kid, will suffer. Not might suffer, will suffer. But one who hates guaranteeing a loan will be secure. So, be careful of the following three. I'm going to give you these. You can write them in your margin. Be careful about loaning money. If you do, you may call it a loan. You may even have that other person refer to it as a loan. But your attitude ought to be, I'll never see that money again. And so if you can't live without ever seeing that money again, don't loan it. Okay? Secondly, co-signing. Co-signing. You know what co-signing is. Someone else can't pay for it, so they want to have someone else who will sign for that person. So if they can't pay for it, they can still get the money out of you. How many of you have ever been burned in a co-signing situation? Raise your hand. Real high, if you don't mind. Be humble. Put it up. Look at this. Now, I use the word burn. So if you want to know how badly they're burned, they'll be glad to tell you that. And they've really learned their lesson, okay? Just be careful of that. That's not to make them feel badly. It just happens to everybody. We've all been in that situation. Here's the third. Credit card use. Still underneath, guaranteeing a loan. You're borrowing that. You're guaranteeing that you're going to pay it back. And how many of you have thought, well, I'll just do it now, but someone else is going to reimburse me and blah, 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 blah. And you don't ever get that reimbursed the way you should when you need it. And now you're stuck with that little extra interest at the end of the month. It goes on. You can paint your own scenario. The idea is be very careful not to do that. I like Proverbs 15, because it says, Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with what? Trouble. All right, you don't want to have that. Here's some good advice. Use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. I didn't write that. I thought that was good. To go too fast. Use it up. Wear it out. Make it do or do without. That works for me. I hope it works for you. I'm almost done. I, I don't want this to go long. If I could use percentages, I would say that points one and two, you know, the securing part of it, the saving, all that, that that's 90%. What I'm going to speak now is about that 10%. While I'll use 10% because it seems like the majority of conservative churches today use the term that when you give, you should give 10%. They like to use the word tithe. I'm not going to die on that hill. For for Carol and me, our understanding of Scripture is that we live in a different period right now that God says that for us, 10% may be too little that we should be giving more. So we're underneath a different economy we sense in Scripture that we should be able to give out of grace. As God purposes in our hearts, as God blesses us, that we should be able to give. But if we need a target, 10% is not so anti-biblical that we couldn't use 10% as a place to either begin or come up to if we're starting, or to go there as a base and build from there. So that's where we are. So I want to talk about that last little bit. Now quickly, you folks that are guests that are here today, those of you that say every time I come to church they always talk about money... You're a guest, and you haven't been here before, and you know that we don't talk about money. I had a little uh, yik yak with some of our deacons uh, a couple of uh, a couple of months ago, and we're all trying to figure out when was the last time Pastor spoke on money. One of them, that's a very respected guy, says, "I don't remember when he spoke on money. it been a long time ago." And the other guy says, "I think he spoke on a little. I don't really remember." So we don't speak on it a lot. And now I've got to tell you this: I'm sorry. Biblically, I probably should be speaking on it more because Jesus does, and it is a part of Scripture. So I don't want to shy away from it, but I don't want to hammer you like you have to give money because we're going to go under if you don't. If you don't give, God will still take care of us. You'll just lose the blessing. Okay, but let's go on. I need to share it and I'm putting it in a a particular priority. I think you'll like this because it is very biblical. What is the priority of my sharing of, of the money that God gives me? The resources, we'll call it. I need to first give it to Jesus. Give it to Jesus first. Sometimes it doesn't matter how well you do with the other 90%. Some of you could have checked off everything that you've read from Scripture I've given you this morning and say, aha, I'm there. But if you don't do the last part right, then you're not all there yet, okay? So if you would look at Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10, it says, honor the Lord with your possessions. Doesn't matter what it is, it's a general term. And with the first fruits of all your increase, that's what you get first. So your your barns will be filled with plenty. I love it because it talks into the context of the culture. And your vats will overflow with new wine. So whatever your barn or your vat is, the issue is that your world, what you have, will begin to overflow when you give to the Lord first. The first fruits. Now if you really want to get biblical, the first fruits were always the better tasting. It was always the better ones. It wasn't the less, it was the first. Those of you that have been to Dole Plantation, what do they tell you? The very first pineapple is the better juicy pineapple. Then it goes down from there. First fruits that we have. It may hurt at first. Some of you are saying out there, I know you're saying, wait a second, I, you, you told me about how hard we're having with money and now you want me to just give the money away? I, I, can't, I can hardly even pay my bills, let alone take something I owe to somebody else and give it now to the Lord. I know it hurts, but no pain, no gain. There's going to be that pain. God says still, the first fruits. Watch this, watch this. Because when you give, He says, I'll abundantly give beyond what you've given which now gives you more into your economic tank to take care of some of the other obligations that you have so you give to him first. Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches. He goes on to say in 2 Corinthians eight two, and I love this verse, would you look at it as I read it? It says, How, wow, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. You say, what in the world is that saying? Listen very carefully. This church was so poor, but yet in their poverty, they still wanted to give. And they're using that as an example of how to do it. You have the widow's mite in Mark 12. First Corinthians 16 tells us, frankly, how to do it on the first day of the week. When you have it, you give it. When I was teaching on uh, these uh, young emerging leaders, I gave them six habits that they need to have in their life. I talked to the leaders of the younger leaders, helped them to get these habits in their life. And one of them was H-A-B-I-T-S. One was tithing, giving. And they wanted to know, how often should I give? I said, it's very simple. As consistently as God gives to you, that's how consistently you give to him. So, if you just mow a yard, when you get that yard, you give to the Lord. If you get paid every month, you give it just once a month. You get every other week, you do it every other week. How consistently God provides for you, that's how consistently you should give back to Him because God gave it to you consistently. Praise God. And so He wants to thank, see us giving faithfully back to Him consistently on a regular basis. So give to Jesus first. Number two, give to others next. And others would be your own family. I'll talk about that in just a moment. But your own family is as part of the others, putting their long-term need before your right now greed, we call it. Proverbs 14.21 says, He who despises his neighbor's sins. In other words, if you look down upon your neighbor, you'll sin. But he who has mercy on the poor, happy is he. 29.7 says, The righteous considers the cause of the poor, but the wicked does not understand such knowledge. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord. I like that little phrase, lends to the Lord. In other words, you kind of put it in God's heavenly bank when you give to the poor so that when you need it, you can withdraw from your account that you gave because you gave to the poor. And he will pay back what he has given. Now, if you will look up here for just a second. Some of you might be thinking, okay, what do we do about the people in Japan right now? Maybe you haven't thought about that. I don't know how you can live over a week and not think about what can we do to help them and what part should we play in all of this kind of stuff. I, I, I cannot officially say this is exactly the vehicle in which you should give to the people in Japan that have a need or anywhere else for that matter, but we're going to use Japan for a moment. I can tell you that, that for me and my house, we must do something. It's, it's a part of God's economy. We have to get rid of something to do something for someone over there. However, it's not to go to our bank account, grab a few checks, and throw them in the mail to anybody that's out there that's crying for money, no matter how good they might sound. I need to vet some of them as, as best as I can, and not take years to do it, to find out, are they honorable how much of that money do I give to them? Are they going to keep for themselves for administrative fees? And how much will it be translated into things that actually mean business for the people who really need it? And can they get it to it safely to the right people when they really need it? And so there are some people who have boots on the ground. Then I'm reminded of the verse in Galatians it's 6.10 that says that I should do good to all people, but especially the household of faith. So now I should be thinking about how can I help the Christians that are in those war-torn areas, devastated areas, to make them stronger if I know once they're strong, their purpose is to relieve the suffering. And so I need to look at these things as I do it. So I'm, I'm in the process now as looking at, some of you have emailed me, you've already heard the rumor that I'm kind of looking at some places. I'm going to come up with a few. Now I'm not going to die on those hills, I might suggest them and later on I find out they all ran and they all came to Hawaii. And I'm fine if they spend their money here, but let me go on. The point of the matter is we do need to do something. So think and pray carefully of what you're going to do. But as much as possible, seriously consider, even in your poverty, do something for others. Samaritan Purse, whatever it might be. There's a lot more verses there. So give to others that have a particular need. It's so important for you to do that. And lastly is this save money for myself and my future last. I like what the verse says here. Prepare your outside work, make it fit for yourself in the field, and then afterward build your house. Get prepared. Take care of your field, take care of your work out there because that's what's going to provide for you in the long run. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost? A good man leaves an inheritance to his children. We have such a heavy Load of adults here with children, may I just suggest what you might want to do with your 10 percent of what comes in and uh, while you're getting your pens ready? and I'm gonna, I am going to end with this and what, this and one other verse, and we'll go. Um, if you're saying I'm, I'm trying to stabilize my boat in the midst of the storm of these economic problems that I have, I, I want to say good that you're trying to do that now. With that, I'd like to suggest a goal for you. The goal is this, that you would give minimum 10% to the Lord. So whatever comes in, forget about all this other stuff, 10% goes to the Lord or more so. Work yourself up to, use it as a foundation, go from, 10%. Now this part's going to be hard on you. The next 10%, you want to be able to give in some measure to some organizations that have a need that you might be able to support. The next 10% that you actually keep for yourself and now I'm going to submit to you some areas that you would want to use that 10% for. Here they are. Number one, future needs that are unexpected. Future needs that are unexpected. Your car blows up on you. Your back lanai falls down. You find out that your insurance plan for your health doesn't cover all that you need. Unexpected needs. Number two, your children's education. Your children's education. That does not mean don't go after all the scholarships. I think there's more out there, especially you of of ethnic backgrounds. There's probably a whole lot more out there. It'll take you a little bit more work, but maybe you and your kids ought to start on that early and go after as much as is is out there that has been purposely made available to you. But at the same time, your children's education. Number three, for retirement, for retirement. Now, when I say that, I wanna qualify that the retirement ought to be that you're not having to punch the clock as we used to say in the old days but your retirement now gives you the freedom to move about to be able to do more ministry whether you're short termers or half milers whatever you want to call it whatever you want to do to come alongside another ministry to help them do something with your life so that at the end of the week you can look back and say it wasn't that I just was on the beach all week that I did something for God so save it so you have the freedom to do that I don't know how it's going to work with Carol and me, but our desire is should we ever get to a point that we are not effectively shepherding you, that God will allow us to at least travel to visit all of our missionaries and go to every field we possibly can and to teach at any level we can where I couldn't carry the load of all the things that are going on here. I can carry the load of imparting God's word to the next generation leader globally. And folks, that's going to take a lot of money, but that's retirement. And then finally, an inheritance for your children and your grandchildren both materially and spiritually. So why should a Christian work hard? There's the verse. Do you have it in your worship folder there? Ephesians 4.28? Would you read it out loud with me? Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? While all of these are very powerful, workable principles that come with tremendous blessings and benefits, as well as horrible consequences if violated, none of those principles can ever be sustained long enough in the challenges we face in life unless we have Jesus Christ in us, the hope of glory. We must be a blood bought, born again believer in Christ. We need His power, His grace, His wisdom, His strength, His prompting, His conviction. We need His character. We need everything that's about Christ in us to make this happen. The question is, I don't have to act like Christ to have Him come inside of me. I don't have to join a church, get water baptized, do anything because those are all external stuff. I have to come to Him as a broken human being that can honestly say that we have missed the mark of his perfection. And because of that, we were born separated from from God and the Lord. And then we made horrible choices that have kept us separated. And even our good works are nothing but a filthy rag. And so now we look to the Lord as the one who said, I know that. And he said, that's why I came to this earth To live a sinless life, to go to a cross and shed my blood and die and rise again from the dead so that the sin issue is taken care of by me, not by you. You can't do it. So then he says, But I still have to forgive you of your sin. I can't ignore it. But you have got to come to me and trust me and receive me as your personal Savior. And that means you've got to turn away from whatever other belief system that you think is going to get you to heaven and stop trusting in that. That won't work. And maybe if you're not trusting anything, you've got to turn away from that agnosticism and say, I'm coming to Jesus Christ. He is the Lord who died. And it is by faith in Him alone for the full forgiveness of my sin. So I am trusting Christ to give to me eternal life. When you do, so much happens. Sins are forgiven. Holy Spirit comes inside you have understanding of Scripture. God now sees you as His child. You have a relationship forever with Him. You've got a helper in your life. You've got things that the world would love to have, but will not make the decision to get. You now have the opportunity right now to make that choice. So me, your choice is to choose Christ. So why don't, right here in the quietness of this room, you have this moment, this may be the only moment where there's a lack of confusion in your life, so settle the deal right now. Seal it, we call it. Simply say, Lord, I am a sinner, I know I've done things wrong, I know that I don't deserve to have eternal life, my sins forgiven, or even you in my life on a moment-by-moment basis, but I come to you as that sinner needing to be forgiven of all my sin now and in the future. And so, Lord, I want that eternal, eternal, eternal relationship with you forever. And so, Lord, I know it's not by my good deeds. And I know it's not how much faith I have. But I do know it's in you. And that's all that counts. Now, folks, while you're saying that to the Lord in your own words, let me give you the Lord's words back to you. And he says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he that believes on me has right now everlasting life. You can't make a mistake, only God knows your thoughts. Is there anyone in here today that is really ready to make that choice? Choose Christ. And it's not so much a prayer, but you did go through that mental transaction where you're trusting Christ and you'd like for me to pray for you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand if today's the day you're doing that. And when you do that, you're just raising a hand. You're not standing up. You're not going to come forward. You're not going to have to say anything out loud. You're just putting your hand up, quietly, privately. You're putting it down. Now, when I see that hand, I'll let you know. And I'll do that by saying thank you. God bless you. And then when I pray for you, I'll pray in a general way. God knows who you are. So no matter how I pray, He already knows. But I'm not going to pray to embarrass you. Becoming a Christian is very private. Yeah, there'll be those that know that you trusted Christ. Your family will start seeing it, hearing it. You should tell them. But right now, getting born again is a personal, intimate thing done between you and the Lord, in your heart, between you and Him. Later on, you can profess it. But right now, you need to possess it. So is there anyone in here today that would like to seal the deal, have eternal life, a relationship with Christ, and now the ability... To live out these principles that you have learned today. And you'd like for me to pray for you, because today's the day you're trusting Christ as your forever Savior. Would you slip up your hand? Anyone at all? Put it up, put it down. Okay. Alright, Christians, please don't uh, forget to pray for those that don't know Christ as Savior. and Be patient with them and love them and be there to answer questions. How about the rest of us in here that are Christians? And maybe right now is the moment that You need to have some special prayer because you've heard some great principles today, but you know that you need some help to begin to apply them. And you'd like to have me pray for you. Was it in securing the money? Was it in saving the money? Was it in sharing it? In whatever area it might be, how many of you would like to have prayer right now? Would you put up your hand? Is there anyone at all? Going through a little bit of a, earthquake tsunami right now amen amen how many of you would like to have prayer because these principles are cool <laughs> and you're sensing the power and the, the reality of these and you'd like to have prayer because you'd like to help, have your kids own them in their heart and in their life when they make decisions about life that will be reflective of their financial decisions and you'd like to have prayer as a parent or a grandparent to help them out would you raise your hand right now amen Father, we do come, we're very humble because we made so many mistakes. And yet now, as parents and leaders, we're asked to coach others when we ourselves haven't played the game right when we were younger. And so, Lord, we're going to ask you now to help us to make some of those uh, mid-course corrections, mid-game corrections. And help us, Father, to do it because it's the right thing to do. And then, Father, I'm going to ask you as their pastor that you will quickly reward them for that choice so they would see the beauty of always making right choices. But yea, Lord, if you decide to linger and test them a little longer, continue to remind them that you will never leave them nor forsake them so they can boldly say that you are their helper. Now, Father, thank you for your generosity. In Jesus' name, amen.